I'll write down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul Heather Dog Ninja Sometimes they're cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Hey, this is Nick Roth, and you're listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hey guys, welcome to episode 332 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy, obviously we want to start off thinking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent... Thank you for everything you do for us every single day. We do appreciate y'all so much, and we're praying for you guys, and wish you could be home with your families um, this holiday season, but just know that we think about you guys every day, and thank you so much for protecting us. All right. That obviously leads in, like I said, you, you brought up holidays. And uh, this is that time of year where we like to bring up that it's a real struggle for a lot of people that are battling depression. The uh, holidays mean different things to different people. Some people are extremely excited about the holidays, and it and it just really gives them an uptick in their personality. But then for other people, it's a reminder of who's not here, or it's a reminder of things that have went wrong in the past, or so many other different things that complicate our way of thinking. With that being said... We just want to remind people that you're not alone. You're never alone, even though you think you are. You're never a burden, even though sometimes you think you are. And we want you to know that if you ever need to talk, that we're available and our group is available. And if that's something that you don't feel comfortable with, some people just aren't. I talked to somebody earlier today that's not comfortable with a big group of people, even though it's a safe place. They're just not comfortable with that. If you want more of a one-on-one situation, Tracy, what can I do? You can call 988 or you can text 741-741 and there's always somebody on the other end ready to talk to you guys, just listen to you or there to help. So just please reach out to us, okay? You've got a lot of people that care about you and, you know, just please, just we'll give you our phone numbers if you want. You can call us, um, but just, you know, reach out. Don't hold it all in on yourself. You'll feel better if you just talk and get it out. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many people we've talked to in the past that in the beginning stages were so desperate and desolate and convinced that there's no solution to whatever problem they're dealing with. And then within a matter of a couple of weeks, everything's completely changed. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? You just have to sometimes let the cake bake. So That's speak. right. You got to get out of your own head and just move ahead with life and things will work out all right tracy we have a very interesting episode tonight we teased last week that we had a special guest jason gowan will be on tonight he's going to talk to us about george lutz and his relationship and a little bit of amityville horror we talked about a lot of stuff even more than i had intended on talking about initially 
because Jason is a fascinating character, even more than I had a clue when I set up the air. I know. I he he has he's done a lot. He has, and he's very talented in making things, and he's just a you know the whole nine yards, I guess you would say. So he's very interesting. Yeah, very fun guy, and uh, we'll definitely have him on in the future for something. Uh huh. Yesterday, if you listened to Macabre Misfortunes, we covered uh, Crash Canyon, which was the mid-air collision in the, in the mid-1950s, 56, matter of fact, 1956, when the planes crashed. And as I was doing research for that, I found a bunch of other stories involved the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had a super busy week. And I thought, hey, I've already done some of the research on this. Let's make that the episode for this week. Okay, since sounds we were good. going to be limited on time. And uh, I think we got we got some uh, cool Grand Canyon hauntings to talk about. It's just amazing how beautiful that place is. It's just, I don't know. It's just um, amazing. Now I would never ride a donkey on the cliff. <laughs> just saying, that's probably one thing I wouldn't do. But it's just really interesting and. That's amazing what God can do, you know, to make that thing so huge like that. But that's what she said. Oh, heck far. <laughs> but yeah. And then, of course, there's not not so good things that happen there. And I guess we're going to get into that then. Yeah. We're not going to rehash a bunch of what we talked about yesterday, obviously. You can go yeah, back and because listen that to was that really sad. Yeah. Well, that and we just discussed it. So right. Right. I, don't, I want to spend time on the new stuff that you haven't heard about. So I was actually. A little surprised to find out how much tragedy had taken place in the Grand Canyon. So I'm going to throw some stats out at you at first. As Ninja snores away. <laughs> as of 2018, there have been nearly 800 reported deaths due to murders, suicides, and accidents in Grand Canyon National Park. Whoa. Murders? Murders, suicides, and accidents. Oh, my goodness. So we covered 128 of those yesterday. Yeah. In the plane crash. So let's cover um, a little bit more today. And I'm actually going to break those down for you. Okay. A little bit as to how those, which category those are in. Break it down. Break it down. <laughs> so let's cover a little bit about the Grand Canyon National Park before we talk about all the paranormal stuff. And this is going to be unlike last week where it was really... History heavy. Uh, it was, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. This is going to be mostly paranormal with a little bit of history. So it all has a way of even itself out. The park is in northwestern Arizona, and it was the 15th national park in the United States. Of course, the featured attraction is the Grand Canyon. Many consider this to be one of the wonders of the world. Remember at one time it used to be like the seven wonders, mm -hmm. and then it's just mm -hmm. like... And then if you look up Seven Wonders, sometimes you'll get a completely different seven from one list to the other. So it's, I guess there, there's so many now, they just said just the Wonders. Yeah. I mean, whoever predicts it, I guess that's their feeling about it, I guess. <laughs> the park has 1.2 million acres, which is 1,901 square miles, or for our foreign listeners, about 4,900 kilometers. The park gets about 6 million visitors a year. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't realize that was that huge. I mean, I know it's huge, but that's huge. Right? It's hoogie. That does seem huge. The Grand Canyon became well known to Americans in the 1880s after the railroad was built. 
Oh. Because then people actually had access to it a lot more. Because remember, out west, there wasn't a lot of people out west at that time. Right. So Can once you... the railroad was built, people had the ability to travel. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hey, we didn't even know this was here. This we didn't know this asshole. big asshole was in the... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You beat me to it. That's right. <laughs> Tag. That's what she said. Okay, let's talk some uh, paranormal stories. Some of them are kind of legends, but we're going to say they're paranormal. The first story that we're going to discuss is probably the most popular. It's the Wailing Woman. Okay. Now, she's described as an apparition. And, of course... A white dress. <laughs> Hello. Let me finish it for you. In white. <laughs> and she's been known to haunt the three-mile hike on the canyon's north rim for the past 100 years. Now, according to local lore, a woman moved into the Grand Canyon Lodge with her husband and son. Now, this was back in the 1920s. This, matter of fact, this was just as the lodge was being built. One day, her husband and son decided that they were going to go on a hike. There was an unexpected change in the weather, and it caused some really treacherous conditions. And her husband and son lost their footing and fell off of the steep cliff of Transept Trail. Oh, man. That's horrible. And you can imagine what happened next. Mm, I'm sure they did. Well, the young woman was overcome with grief, as you can imagine. She searched the trail all over and over and over again before finally accepting their sad fate. Unable to deal with the loss, she went back to the lodge and ended her life. Now, supposedly, her spirit is said to haunt the trail where the family met their demise. At one time, she was said to haunt the lodge as well, but that lodge actually burned down in 1932. They built another one, and she haunts that one now. She moved on to another lodge? Yeah. Well, this was probably a nicer lodge. Yeah. Moving on up. <laughs> Several witnesses claimed to have seen her face in the flames when that, oh. when that first lodge burned down. So did they never find the bodies? I don't know. Oh. And that's even worse. I mean, you know... You know that they've they've passed on, but you don't have their bodies to... Right. I, I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, if they found it, it she didn't know about it, so... Because mm -hmm. she gave up. Well, that's true. That's what she said. She, she basically gave up, went back to the lodge, so... If they found them, it was after that. There's since been, like I said, a new lodge built to take its place. But as I said, it looks like the new lodge, which is still there, is now haunted by the Wailing Woman. In fact... According to a former park ranger, there's a door at the lodge that the Wailing Woman, also known, by the way, as the Wandering Woman, so mm -hmm. you'll hear both ways, she refuses to leave it open. Whenever the caretaker opens that door, the spirit of the woman slams it shut. And according to hikers, the Wailing Woman can also be seen at night along the Transept Trail, wearing a white dress with blue flowers on it and a scarf around her head. The Williams Grand Canyon News reported that many hikers and park rangers have reported seeing the young woman's apparition. Tracy, even if you don't see her, many hikers traveling along the north rim between the lodge and the transept trail have reported hearing her wailing and crying out for her family. Aww. I just want to give her a hug. They said that the, the transept trail is a moderate hike, so if you ever want to go check it out, it's uh, on a shaded, relatively smooth, unpaved surface 
but it can be dangerous near the cliff overlooks. And with almost 800 people dead at the park, there are probably many more ghosts than the Wailing Woman haunting that trail. Oh, I'm sure. All right, so before we get into our next story, I wanted to give you a breakdown of how these close to 800 deaths have occurred. Airplane and helicopter crashes, 242. What? Uh, like crashes? 242 people. Oh, so like, think about great. it, it was only 120-something from that one plane right. crash. That mm-hmm. means there's been that many more, basically, from other plane crashes and helicopter crashes. There's a lot of helicopters that go over. Oh, because they do those. Because they do the tours yeah. and stuff. So, imagine that. Well, drowning. 79 people have drowned in the Grand Canyon. Rivers. Oh, and yeah. This, this is in the Grand Canyon National Park. Yeah. Okay. Falls. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine how many. 53. Oh, I'm so shocked. I figured it'd be more. Caught in a flash flood. Seven. Because you're in the desert. Desert, and you don't really probably expect that. No. And then when it rains, everything's so dry. That oh. You just... And I don't know why this wasn't included in drowning. Because I would think, I mean, if you got caught up in flash flood, you'd drown, right? Well, yeah, I would think. So, not, maybe not always, but I'm sure you do. But... The ones that died drowned, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm sure it could have been something else. And then this is one. 65 people died from environmental causes. Environmental causes. And I looked that up to see what that was. Because I I wasn't really sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe snake bites or well, something? Or? I'm sure that could be part of it. They listed strokes, heart attacks, unintentional injuries such as car wrecks. They included in environmental... I what? Guess, I, I don't know. And they even... Some of them even included suicide in that category. Hmm. But suicide had its own category. So I don't know... A suicide is intentional, not unintentional. No, right. You, right. Well, they, that's what I'm saying. So I don't know how unintentional right. is also intentional, but... So not exactly sure how hmm. they came up with those numbers, but that's what most of it... That's at least how it was broken down. The rest, rest of the deaths are freak accidents, rock falls, or homicides. Wow. I wonder how many of those people are on those donkeys. I remember when the Brady... I know this is crazy. What's your deal with the donkeys? Well, because remember when the Brady Bunch went to the Grand Canyon and they all rode those donkeys up that hill and like... You're basing this on a Brady Bunch. Well, no, but I've seen it on other shows where they ride those donkeys yeah. and then there's that fall off right there. I mean, my gosh, I... Yeah, I would be scared. I'd crap my bra- I mean, I would too. I was just wondering, you know, if there was anything that, you know, if that was the cause of any of them. It reminds me of a joke. It's probably not, not the most in today's environment or in any time it should have been acceptable, but keep in mind it's a joke. But there's a, a lady who goes out and interviews a couple. They've been married for 65 years. Nice. And. They asked the woman, they said, what is the, what is the secret to being married for 65 years? And she said, well, when we got married, when we were youngsters, we went on our honeymoon to the Grand Canyon and we were riding the donkeys. She said, you know, we didn't have a group with us. It was just us two and our two donkeys. And my husband's donkey kept stopping. It would just stop. Mm -hmm. And he told it not to. And it stopped again. And he got off the donkey, 
And he looked at it and he said, that's one. And he got got back on the donkey and it went a little further and it stopped. And he got off the donkey again. He said, that's two. Well, don't you know, he got back on that donkey and that donkey stopped the third time. And he got off and took his gun and he shot the donkey. I'm brother. And I said, don't you think that that was a little rough on the donkey? I mean, don't you think that was completely out of line? And and my husband looked at me and said, that's one. <laughs> oh, oh. Anyways, <laughs> the secret to being married a long time. <laughs> All right, so next we're going to talk about Fred Harvey. Now, Fred was a famous hospitality king. Why was he the hospitality king? Well, I'm glad you asked, Tracy. Thank you he for was telling the, me. <laughs> he was the first to build a chain of hotels in the United States. Oh, nice. One of those hotels was the El Tobar Hotel, and that sits perched atop a big old bluff, just 20 feet from the south rim of the Grand Canyon. Ugh, no. <laughs> no. When it opened in 1905, it was the pinnacle of luxury in the midst of the wilderness, because there wasn't a whole lot out there. Oh, I bet it was. I bet people were so excited. It has had hundreds of thousands of visitors since it opened, and it's said that some of them may still be there, including Fred Harvey himself. Oh, he's got to oversee things, you know. Right. So we've talked about a number of haunted hotels on the show. The El Tabar Hotel has been the focus of many paranormal investigations. Guests and staff have both had experiences here making this one of the Grand Canyon's most intriguing destinations. I'm going to go now. Yeah, I'd like to go. Employees and guests have noted strange occurrences at the hotel for over 100 years. There's a painting, for example, that everyone says its eyes tend to follow the viewers wherever they go. I don't think that's all that odd. I don't think it is either. I've come across a lot of pictures. I mean, it's creepy. Right. But I've seen a lot of those pictures. There's also a phantom that wanders down the front stairs and across the property before disappearing. Okay. There is also a well-dressed man welcoming guests to the holiday celebration on the third floor. ZZ Top? It is not. That would be a sharp-dressed man, not a well-dressed man. There is oh, a damn. difference. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit of mystery here, though. So if you exit the hotel, you're at the front doors, okay? You head slightly left across the hotel circle driveway. You're going to come to a small stand of vegetation, okay? Yes, vegetables. Well, plants and stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that is vegetation. It's not not like carrots and stuff. Oh. No, broccoli. It's not that. I'm going to say it's a can of dumb today. Flowers and stuff. What did you say? (laughs) I said I must eat a can of dumb because I'm saying all these dumb things. <laughs> well, there at this vegetation stand or flowers or whatever, bushes, <laughs> you're going to see a small flat gravestone simply engraved Pearl A. Ward, 1879 to 1934. And Pearl is spelled P I R L. Okay. Hmm. I reckon. There's some speculation as to who Pearl actually was. She's my mommy. Well, not spelled P-I-R-L. So. No. 
Stories that have been handed down by word of mouth over several generations say that Pearl was a cowboy passing through the area. Other stories say that it was a woman, and she was one of the famous Harvey girls. Told you Harvey started his hotels, and the Harvey girls were hostesses that worked at all of Fred Harvey's hotels, many of whom lived and worked and died on the properties. Oh, all of them? Or just most many. of them? Many? However, he or she may never be actually known, because no one knows if that's actually a female or a male buried there. Oh. So nobody knows who it is that's there. Isn't that and it something? happened in the 30s. You would think somebody would know. Yeah. That's crazy. What we do know, though, is that visitors and staff have reported seeing a black caped figure leave the hotel's front stairs and hover near the grave and then wander off behind the Hopi house before disappearing. So, I, want to point, I want to point something out real quick while we're on the subject. Yesterday, we talked about the Native Americans... The Hopi tribe. We did. And I looked up how to say it. And about the pronunciation I looked up said more like Halpi instead of Hopi. And that's what I said in the show yesterday. How's it spelled? Well, I can't remember. H-O-P-E or H-O-U-P? I think it's H-O-P-I, I believe. Oh. But, because I spelt it uh, basically mm-hmm. how I say it, just to make it. Mm-hmm. But the pronunciation I looked up said it was Pronounced H O W dash P I or P E E. That's why I was asking you maybe so, if there was a U in it. So that was that would be Halpy. Mm-hmm. But I've since learned, mainly from watching Manifest and then going back and researching more, it's actually Hopi. So I'm pronouncing it correct today. So anybody who listened yesterday and said if we have any of the Hopi Nation listening saying that that's not how it's pronounced, I get it. Yeah. Straightened it out today. So anyway. Disappears behind the Hopi house. And as we mentioned before, Fred Harvey, who died in 1901, four years before the hotel actually opened, he also has been spotted. And he's the one who actually invites guests at the hotel's annual um, holiday festival. Nice. That's up on the third floor. And they still do that, from my understanding. Oh, really? How fun. One couple visiting from New Jersey, Mark Griffith and his wife, said that they experienced... A, we'll say, presence in their room. Miss Griffiths said that she had something tug on her clothing in the middle of the night. Another couple from L.A. said they walked past the TV. When they looked into the screen, they saw an old man with a gray beard staring back at them. That's freaky. It is freaky. While the hotel has lots of stories of the paranormal activity, it's not the only haunted location in the area though it is one of the most accessible. There are also stories of ex-employees haunting Phantom Ranch and Maricopa Point. So I wonder if all these ghosts are nice. Have they had any encounters with some mean, I haven't, mean I haven't butts? really seen anything that But that's good then. Too bad. Yeah, that's really good. So if you're at the El Tabara Hotel and you want a rigorous little hike, you can uh, travel to the isolated canyons between Temple and uh, Chuar Buttes, and that's the site of the 1956 midair collision. You can check that out. Of course, as we mentioned yesterday, yeah. it's aptly known as Crash Canyon. Yeah. But there you can see the eerie lights, they say, there. 
Oh, really? That we that they spotted yesterday and all the clothes. Oh, yeah. That, that were walking I wonder around. if they have that roped off or like closed off there so people. Well, I don't can't... know because they said it was cl- that that actual part was closed to hikers, so I don't know how they've got it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they would do that. All right, the let's talk about the Hopi House. We just mentioned it that that figure would disappear behind the Hopi House. I mentioned it earlier, like I said, but I didn't elaborate on it because I knew that the, we were going to have a little story on it. So here we go. On the south rim of the Grand Canyon by the El Tabar Hotel is the Hopi House. It's an adobe style structure that was actually built in 1904 and it was used to showcase art of the local Hopi tribe. Today, it's still used as a gift shop. And according to those who work in the shop or some visitors, depending on who you ask, there are two spirits that frequent the, the structure. These spirits are affectionately known as the Brown Boys. Like, it's, are they brothers? I'm not sure. Oh. It's said that they run around the building in the evening hours, and they throw things around. They turn off electrically powered objects. So, so they're like anything. little kids? I don't know. I didn't. I couldn't find a whole lot on them mm-hmm. other than the fact that the Brown Boys. I don't know if that brown means a color, like maybe they were... Mm-hmm. Darker people, like maybe the the Hopi Native In, Americans, uh, uh, uh-huh. or if maybe um, they were, like you said, maybe they were brothers that were named Brown. Yeah. I couldn't really see uh, anything. I didn't find much on them, mm-hmm. except for the little bit that I dug up. So Many paranormal investigators refer to the spirits as poltergeists because of their behavior of throwing stuff around and plugging stuff. All right. One more story. The Rees Griffith Grave. This grave is along the North Kaibab Trail near Phantom Ranch. Mr. Griffiths was a foreman of a blasting crew that was clearing out a section of the area. In February of 1922, he was crushed by a boulder. Oh, that only happens in cartoons. Well, they make it through in cartoons. He actually didn't. So. Oh, how awful. Before his death, he expressed his wishes to be buried in the Grand Canyon. His grave is located between Black Bridge and Phantom Ranch. Since his death, many visitors have seen his ghost walking through the trails of the region. Others have seen a small light hovering directly above his burial site. So, there's... You mean the boulder fell on him and he could still talk? Yeah. Yeah. Dang. I mean, this didn't say that it crushed him completely. I mean, it probably just suffered... Some injuries, and in the 1920s, you're not going to survive a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, that's our story of the Grand Canyon. Well, nice. <laughs> All right, so... That was a whole lot of info. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> you sure that can you ate with a barrel? Oh, <laughs> you snap. All right, touche. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back... I want to tell you about some changes to some shows because we had to make some oh. change. We want to make people aware of. Yes. But I also want to talk about uh, you guys had helped us donate to a family. And we were able to go take them uh, the majority of the money because donations are still coming in. But we were able to meet with them yesterday. Yes. And I want to talk a little bit about that. So, yes. Quick sponsor break. We'll be right back. All right, Tracy. So uh, real quick, I want to uh, announce a quick change to the show. The show that we're doing in September 30th with uh, Tony Merkel of the Confessionals. <laughs> Jesus, Ninja. 
The show that we're doing with Tony was originally set up for Pigeon Forge. Sevierville, technically. It really even wouldn't Pigeon Forge, but it's right outside uh-huh. Pigeon Forge. And that's where we did the show last time. The problem was, it's a little bit of an older place. For those of you who came to the last show in Pigeon Forge, it's a, it's a little bit older, outdated uh, American Legion, which is fine. Uh, but it only seats 65 people. We were able to find a place in actual Gatlinburg. So still, we're still in the Smoky Mountains, but we can get 100 people in there. And that show is going to have a lot of interest. And because of that, we wanted to have a uh, a little bit nicer place, a little bit bigger place so we can fit more people in there. And uh, this place has been completely redone recently. And it's uh, it's just a lot nicer venue. And uh, for, you know, to be able to get more people into a nicer venue, we thought that was just the way to go to change it at the time. So that's what we did. And it's an American Legion also. Yeah. So money is still, the same money is still going to help out the veterans and and all that yeah we we love doing our shows there for sure so that was the one change but that's been updated up up on the website um we're working on a show that will be in may is that right yeah may Mm -hmm. working on a show in may that would be about 30 minutes outside of indy in the old boone county jail that's a haunted jail all of those those um cells are still upstairs and that's where we would be doing the show. Some of you could actually listen to the show and watch the show from a jail cell. <laughs> How cool is that? That's really cool. So I'm working on that. It's going to be about two weeks before I can get the details finalized on that. But I can tell you those tickets are going to go quick because there's already interest when I posted some pictures. And we're probably only going to be able to get 30 people in there. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And if it sells out, maybe we might be able to do another show that day. But it's um, as of right now, it's there's not going to be a whole lot of room <laughs> and it's the it's a distillery now downstairs oh that's cool so it'd be cool but i gotta go meet with the owner and all that in a couple of weeks and we'll work out details in but it'll be exciting sounds exciting all right so let's talk about before we get into patreon and all that uh and before we get into jason i want to talk about you guys because you guys are amazing we had a family that we wanted to help and uh, we gave you guys the opportunity to help. It was uh, the Buster family. And they're, she's on the last stages of her life, literally. Uh, her liver is failing. And they told her to enjoy this Christmas with her 14 and 9-year-old boys because it's probably going to be her last. Um, I had the privilege to talk to her on the phone in the past, but we hadn't personally met. But we, you know, we wanted to do what we could to help because... As tragedy usually does, it compounds on top of other tragedies. And as if her story wasn't bad enough, her house burnt down. Mm-hmm. It didn't burn completely down, but there's a lot of damage where they can't stay in it and there needs to be some reconstruction done. She had no insurance. So she's staying in a hotel room for a couple of weeks that the Red Cross put her in. As of tomorrow, she has no clue where she's going because the Red Cross hasn't reached back out unless they've reached out today. But as of yesterday, they still hadn't contacted her about going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Through you guys, you guys donated right around $2,000 so far. And there's more still coming in. Uh, but we, we met with her yesterday, so we took her what we had. And then Tracy and I, of course, made our own don- donation on top of what you guys did. And um, the, the family was, they were so gracious and so happy that you guys came together for them. 
they were uh, literally brought to tears. They were. They were very thankful for everything that you guys helped them do. So they wanted to make sure we all let you know that you, they appreciate everything y'all have done for them. And for, you know, she had a little smile on her face and, and I, you know, we just kept telling her, you know, don't give up, keep pushing and things like that. But a wonderful family, just sweet as they could be. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, uh, she was showing us pictures of the house and, cause we'd seen some pictures, but not to the extent mm-hmm. that she was showing us some inside and what was done through those, you know, you don't realize this, I guess you, you know, they initially thought, well, the fire damage isn't that bad, but most of the damage came from the water from mm-hmm. trying to put the fire out and firemen on the roof because it was a really old house. So firemen on the roof kind of, but the water kind of caused some of it to cave in. So there's a lot of water damage, but I mean, you know, what are you going to do? That's how you fight a fire. Yeah, definitely. But uh, once they came back and looked at it, they realized, but we've also, uh, through some of you guys, been able to hook her up with some contractors and some places that are going to donate materials and stuff like that to get this done. And uh, I just wanted you guys to know that you were a huge part of helping this family try to get back on their feet. Mm-hmm. We're very grateful for you guys. And you all, you all don't mean, I mean, gosh, I don't even know what I'm saying because I don't cry, but um, you guys mean the world to us. And you are our family. And we are so blessed to have you guys. And we just can't thank you all enough for helping out like you did. It it truly did mean everything to that family. So I just, I'm just so blessed to have you guys in our life. Absolutely. All right, Tracy, what do you got on Patreon? Because I know we're supposed to give away something tonight for mm-hmm. our uh, uh, listeners. So I'm going to pull up that app so I can do the, the thing. All right. Um, our Patreons this week is PacmanImpactSite.info, Bridget Chang, Mary Hall, and Dakota Jones. Thank you guys so much for your support. We are so happy that you guys are listening to us. That's our very number one thing that we, you know, hope you all enjoy the show. But for you to um, sign up and pay for the extra stuff and everything it makes it i don't know it's just it's very humbling it is very humbling and i just i feel like i'm getting the emotional bug coming up in me and i'm trying to contain myself but you guys are just you don't know what you mean to us and we just can't thank you all enough for supporting and hanging in there as long as you have yeah i agree and it's and, and it's been an emotional weekend i mean like i said we we drove about an hour and a half to uh to where the family was staying at and just to be able to hear their stories and you know we we talked to her we talked to her mom and her her boys and a mm-hmm. couple of friends and just to be able when you see somebody that's in that bad of shape in so many different areas i mm-hmm. mean from a health standpoint from thinking this might be your last christmas standpoint to i don't know where we're going to live on monday standpoint to i mean you just you count your blessings. You do. You count your blessings for sure. So, and I mean, and we left immediately there and went to my dad's birthday party, which, you know, my dad's in the fourth stage of COPD. They told him two Christmases ago that he probably would make it to the next Christmas. Yeah, he's you hanging know, in there, though. He's hanging in there. So, I mean, you know, we went right from there to a birthday where it's like, you know, <laughs> you, you just don't know how many more of those you have. So mm-hmm. that makes you think about, you know, when you're already in that frame of mind of, God, this woman's in her 
mm-hmm. you know, her last stages of life. I mean, you know what? It, it really hit me hard when listening to her was when she started talking about her medication and she said that her medication was quote unquote end of life medication. Mm. And that's when it kind of really was like, yeah, I mean, when you're taking medicine that they call end of life medication, how do you, how do you not think about it? Yeah. So, you know, and then, like I said, I immediately go thinking about, you know, you know, you never know how much longer my dad has left because, you know, of his situation. And that just made it even more special to be able to sit down to a, to a lunch with him. Sure was. So, all right, go ahead with your. Okay. So our iTunes reviews uh, this week was Sonora 0818, Madison Tackett. Kay Cummings and Mojo Lobster. Okay. So there's four. And we said we were going to give away a t-shirt and, and a, mug. a mug. And so let me see. Do you have you numbered them? You know them? what? I did not, but I'll do that right now. Done. <laughs> that didn't take long at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I got one to four. Generate number two. Madison Tackett. All right, Madison. You've got a t-shirt and a mug coming your way. It is a... Uh, uh, 3X small shirt. It's an extra that we had. It's got some damage to it. Oh, stop. Uh, and the mug is broken. But <laughs> send me your address. No, uh, if you if you hear this, um, is it Madison? Yes. If you hear this, Madison, send me uh, send us an email at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Just tell us you're Madison. And uh, send us your address and tell us what size shirt you wear and we'll get you hooked up. All right. Congratulations. So, as a matter of fact, you can go on our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com, go to the store, and find you the style t-shirt that oh, you yeah, want. Oh, yeah, definitely do and that. Find, find the, the style that you want and the color and mm-hmm. the design and all that. And if you want, just take a, a screenshot of it and send that to us, and that way we'll enter the, the size you need uh-huh. and the address, and we'll make sure we get you the exact one you want. Very cool. All right. Are you ready to listen to Jason Gowan? I am so ready. All right, guys. Enjoy this. All right, guys, I'm excited about this one because I teased this one last week, which I rarely tease an interview before it actually happens. But I was confident this one was going to happen. Even though we had a hiccup, it still happened, and uh, I'm excited about it. So I've got Jason Gowan on. He's a blogger, a a podcaster, an actor, a a ghost hunter. You name it, he's done it all. First of all, before we get much further, Jason, thanks for coming on, buddy. Dude, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, so let me tell people how this came to be. I want to get into a whole lot with you tonight, Jason. I want to talk yeah. about things that you got going on, things you've done in the past. Uh, but I want to talk about how we got connected. So I've told everybody on on last week's episode that I was listening to the Haunted Objects podcast with uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk and uh, Connor Randall. And they were talking about a plank of wood that they have from the original Amityville Horror House and, this, you know, they, they run all their episodes based on an article that they've got in their uh, little haunted museum. And in the midst of talking about this plank, they basically come to one point where they're talking about George Lutz. You can't talk about the plank in Amityville without talking about George and Kathy Lutz. And out of the blue, Greg says, hey, I got a, I got a friend. Let me call him up. And he worked with George Lutz for a long time, became a lifelong friend. And I want to hear, uh, I want to see if he'll come on the show. He brings Jason on. And I was completely blown away by the stuff that I heard. So much so that as soon as I got through 
listening. I, I I didn't know what your last name was, and I flipped on YouTube and I found the video version, which I didn't know they had of the podcast, and it had your name. I immediately looked you up on Facebook and connected and said, "Hey, do you want to come on?" And uh, that's how it happened. On about a, a about a two hour period from me listening. I was able to connect with you. So that's how we got connected. And I want to say thanks for making the time so quick. To oh, that. dude, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. All right. So here's what I want to do. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm going to get into the George Lutz stuff, but I want to cover a little bit with you. You were doing a podcast uh, 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 that was or a radio show that was paranormal related held nine or 10 years ago. So you were on the, the early end of this stuff. Oh yeah, I uh, I was on Encounters Paranormal Radio with with Timmy Ancy for a long time. It was on both. It was both a podcast, but it was also on terrestrial radio in South Florida, and it broadcast all over, you know, all over over the world. After he it would air on the radio, he would then upload it as a podcast. So I was on the really early end of like paranormal talk stuff. All right, so you had uh, an encounter, I guess we'll say, where you were pushed up against a wall by an entity and it kind of made you a little bit uh shy of the paranormal didn't it it did so we had so greg greg and i started greg newkirk and i started together years ago and a company out of seattle wanted to uh, called new guild pictures wanted to do a documentary called the graveyard shift what, what became the graveyard shift and the film crew came out from seattle and they wanted to go to places we had never been before and also some that we had and from the time i was little i had heard about this Old shirts only used twice a year, Memorial Day and Labor Day, for a special service. And it, it, it's so old that it's actually still segregated. Men and women had to sit on separate sides. Uh, has an octagonal pulpit. The church is architecturally beautiful. Um, it's just really, really haunted. And like I remember on the school bus, I was in, uh, really little, and I would hear the stories about how they would see ghostly figures walking around in the graveyard, and there was lights inside glowing. Then there was no electricity to the church. But the story that always got me is on one of the special services, the minister or pastor went up to his car to get just something out of his car. And he came back. And in the, like the two minutes he was gone, every Bible in the place was turned to a creepy passage in Revelation about the end of the world. And I was a Ghostbusters kid. So, like, you know, I, all that <laughs> stuff really sucked me out. I mean, that story to me ranked true. So we went there. And we could hear it stomping and and running around. And and our our director of our movie got uh, choked while we were there. And so like all this crazy stuff kept happening. And we we at the time, I mean, we were provoking ghosts before like ghost ventures made, tried to make it cool. And so I mean, I was just I mean, I, we were a bunch of kids. I mean, we were playing we were playing Scooby Doo basically. And um. A buddy of mine who I was in the ghost hunting group with, with Greg and I, Bill, uh, stopped. Uh, we The movie was going to come out, and we were supposed to go to the horrifying convention in Reistertown, Maryland, to promote the movie. And this was before cell phones and GPS had hit our area, so we had to use MapQuest. And so we, like... <laughs> Took out, we we like got the map quest route and we like kind of planned our route. And on the way back, my buddy said, Hey, let's stop at the church and we can go in with no flashlight. And I was like, Are you kidding me? Uh no, we will not go without a flashlight. So I took mine. He busted my my balls the entire time. And we get in there and inside the door, when you first come in, 
there's a stairway that goes up to the right or up to the left and then to the right is a wall that had become like a graffiti wall where people who would come in from all over would sign it and they would put where they were from and all this stuff on it and he said hey dude shine the flashlight over here so i can see what where some of the people are from so when i did and when i turned to pivot i heard something come down the stairs and then something broadsided me and i am I'm built like Barney Rubble from the Flintstones, so I don't jump very high, let alone high and backwards. It's just not something I do. And I hit the wall. It felt like a football tackle. I hit the wall above his head. He's six one. I'm five five. And I blacked out at that point. So I can't tell you from the door from when I got hit to the car. Complete blank to me. But at that point, I was done. I didn't want anything to do with ghost hunting anymore. You know, it's all fun and games till somebody throws a fat kid. And on that day, <laughs> the fact you had got tossed and I was just like, but I, you know, I had agreed to go to this move to this thing to promote the movie. It was cool to me that we had a movie coming out and I was walking around the convention and one of the tables had George Lutz from the Amityville Horror at it. And he was, you know, signing autographs and whatnot and, and signing copies of the book. And I... I knew the Amityville story, but I had never seen the movie. I hadn't read the book. I just knew it was a famous haunting. I'm like, oh, so you're George Lutz, huh? And he's like, who are you? And, you know, I told him and I said, I used to ghost hunt. And I told him the story I just told you. And he said to me, you know, that so that's it, huh? You're just going to quit. And I said, did you hear the part where I got my ass tossed into the wall? Because <laughs> that's why. And he's like, yeah, but I can tell you're a guy who uses humor to kind of diffuse things. You know that you can use that to protect yourself and help others in this in this in this space in this realm and i said i have no idea how to do any of that and he's like i can teach you and he took me under his wing and i was mentored for you know four years by george lutz i would travel with him on the summers as like his camera guy as he was doing lectures at you know all over the place it was it, literally crazy because i shouldn't by all rights have ever met him yet let alone travel with him and you know kind of him take me under his wing I want to say this about George Lutz. He, um, for somebody like myself, you you hear a <laughs> lot of negatives as as years went on. You didn't hear a lot of positives. It was, uh, you know, hey, he was kind of uh, he was kind of a jerk to his kids when they moved into the place, and he was this and he was that, and and you know there there wasn't twenty four seven internet coverage like there was today, or like there is today, and and as time has gone. I've learned so much more about the person that he was. And, and then I thought I knew a bunch. And then when I heard Judy the other day, that's when I realized, oh, there's even more that I didn't know. But like he had stepped away from the public eye after the whole Amityville thing. And for like, what, 20, 25 years or something. Yeah, just it was, recently it was, you know, over two decades for sure. Yeah. So he got back in right as the new release was coming out with Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and, and that's kind of when he started going out. But you know, George, he was doing the lectures and stuff at night, but he was helping families during the day, was he not? That's what I did. That's where I learned so much of what I know and how I uh, eventually would help families myself is that he would find cases of families that like, because obviously he had a lot of people write to him and email him about, you know, things they were going through. And we would do cases during the day of, you know, families in the areas of where we were speaking um, in like Virginia, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, all of like uh, West Virginia, Maryland, all these different, you know, states that had stuff going on. He would have a family and we would go in and we would, you know, try and help them. And I, I my job was to document everything. With your time that you knew, George, 
how would you describe him as a person? Would you say he was kind, compassionate? Would you say he had some idiosyncrasies? How would you best describe him to somebody who had never met him and knew nothing about him? See, it's 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 funny that you to me he was a father figure. You know, he you know, he tried to he was always trying to teach me. He, he was the, you know, he was a teacher, he was a dad, you know, he was looking out for me, you know, he constantly was trying to like. You know, I had a lot of stuff go on in my childhood that, you know, was not, you know, was traumatic. And he, you know, he really was mindful of all that stuff. And, you know, Christopher Quarantino, a.k.a. Christopher Lutz and I are we're good friends. And and so he and I obviously come from very different places because he knew George 30 years before I did. So George, at some point, became a very different man than who Christopher knew. And so he and I have spent a lot of time and conversation figuring out where kind of where the where did the change happen why did it happen when did it happen and it's uh to, but to me he was he was a great guy he's very funny blindingly funny and he was very sarcastic and and uh it just but he really he had a core group of people he really really cared about and he really just wanted to help other people and that's the guy that i knew so did you guys ever have conversations just one-on-one -on -one about what happened at the house. I mean, did, did you ever ask him, Hey, there's rumors that some of this stuff was embellished for the book and some of it happened. Some of it, did, did you ever have any of those conversations with George? Dozens of times. <laughs> I mean, do dozens of times. Cause like we would have long road trips where we would just be in the car driving. And, and so, I mean, we would talk about everything we had seen. And like, if I had like, a case like locally that I was dealing with, he would like, he would say, well, you know, when this happened to us, this is what I did. So he would take examples from stuff they dealt with because a lot of people think that, you know, once they left the house, the Amityville horror ended for them. It continued on until he died. I mean, I cannot tell you the weird stuff that I saw. Case in point, we were in North Carolina and we he would never sign anything remotely related to the Ryan Reynolds movie. And Tim Yancey and I talked him into for each of us to him to sign the Ryan Reynolds film. And to my knowledge, they're the only two in existence of his uh, signature on an, a Ryan Reynolds Amityville item. And he, so we went to pay for the movie and it wouldn't scan. And the girl was like, at first was just like, you know, it happens sometimes at, 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 you know, a Walmart. But then it turned really weird. And she started like frantically scanning it. And she got increasingly more upset. And then she started shaking. And then she started pulling her hair. And she's screaming, this is a horrible movie. And she slammed it down on the counter. And she ran off. And I was just like, what, what, what is happening? And... George never even reacted. He's like, this is this is the weight of Amityville coming with me. And that was just, you know, the kind of the guy literally in a hotel room would sleep with a rosary and he would make uh, blessing circles around around his bed, like to protect himself. He would never sleep without a TV on. He said otherwise he would always hear the voices. So, I mean, he would they would talk to him and say things to him while he was sleeping kind of stuff. So, I mean. I get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time experiencing Amityville from a completely different place than most people. So I want to talk about 
the stuff that I heard you uh, discuss on on Dana and Greg's show, the Haunted Objects podcast, I advise everybody <laughs> to check it out. It's a fantastic show. I only got three episodes out right now, but I'm telling you, you'll absolutely love it. Oh, it's but great. Anyways, it's amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. So you were you were telling a story about in North Carolina when uh, basically George had telepathically called you to his room. And and you saw some stuff that kind of blew your mind. Can you rehash that story for us? Sure. Yeah. Um, I had this overwhelming, like, my brain kept telling me you need to go to see, you need to go to George Lutz's room. You need to go to George, George, George's room. And I went. And I have no idea why. And I was like, hey, what's up? And he, he was like, oh, you got that message. And I have no idea. I I'm like, what? What are you talking? What are you talking about? And he comes in and he's, you know, he starts talking. He's like, hold on, before we talk about this, uh, let, let me get Tim Yancey over here. And he like, he was like Professor X from the X-Men. And like he it was like he he was like, and then all of a sudden the door knocks and Tim, Tim, Tim comes in. And he's like, I felt like I should come over here. And I at this point, I'm like, uh, what? What is happening? And <laughs> So, you know, he kind of, you know, he starts talking to us. He's, t- you know, telling stories and we're talking about hauntings and 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 the Amityville Horror and all this stuff and all my own personal stuff. And all of a sudden I look up and he started to glow this green color. And I, I raised my hand and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to alarm you, but uh, you're glowing right now. And he... And I had looked over at Tim and Tim clearly could see what I was seeing because he's like, I, and I, and I, he goes, you can, you can see that. And I said, yeah. He's like, well, you got that a little early and I expected you to. And so then he like, he talked about what it was and it was aura and that, that, you know, you know, you know, that you could use these to sense danger and like all these different things. And he like, he was making it move and change shape. And I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> for me i i have no idea and like we were in north carolina i lived in pennsylvania it's a 12 to 14 hour trip at eight o'clock at night i got in the car because i was so unnerved by everything i saw i drove through the night to get home because i just i just couldn't do it i just, it was just too much for me because i'm like this is not the reality i grew up in i people don't glow that's not a thing that's a star wars thing it's an x-men thing this is not real life but I, I just, you know, and I stayed awake the entire time because I was like, I don't know what I saw, but I need to get as far away from North Carolina as I can right now. How did how did George respond to that? <laughs> to what? To you just up and leaving? Was that because he probably didn't expect you to just leave, did he? No, he called me a pussy. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, you can't handle a little aura, then you know it's on you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. I mean, would I react that way? No, now, no, probably not. I probably wouldn't drive through the night. I, I, you know, I, but I was, you know, I was 23 and like, I was just like, this is not, this is not normal. And I, we had seen already a lot of stuff on the trip that, you know, I wasn't expecting. So it was just, uh, when your whole reality gets shifted like that in a way that you don't even believe is possible, uh, it's it's uh, it's a lot to take in and a lot to process. 
Now, that was the first thing you said that just totally floored me when I heard that, because I'd never heard that story before, even though I'm sure you've told that story many times. It's never made it to the mainstream. A lot of times, I, I, I don't tell the story very often, but once in a while. Okay, well, thank you for telling it tonight. I appreciate it. Oh, you're that. welcome. Um, the other part that, that just really caught me off guard was apparently uh, George was into the occult and, and possibly... Uh, doing some things that might have opened some doors there or might have influenced some of the stuff that went on and could possibly explain why things happened there when they were there and then supposedly didn't happen to any families after they left. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I think that, well, George, I mean, flat out would say that he was in a transcendental meditation. Um, you know, and, and it was a, it was a thing, it was trendy at the time. Like it, it's in much the way yoga is now. It was a, it was a thing. Um, they kind of took it further. Um, they were invoking spirits into them. So he never would say what spirits he was invoking into him, but he also would never. One of the, and I think I talked about this on Greg and Dana's podcast. One of the last things he said to me the day that he, like the last day I talked to him is he did say to me, you are always for the rest of your life going to wonder who I really was. And that is <laughs> without question, the truth, because I have heard Christopher's story. I've heard Danny's story. I have seen emails between George and Mithy. So he was a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And you know, just from my conversations with Christopher and also what I know of things I heard from George himself directly, without question, there was more to his occult practice than what he told me. But I didn't really need to know that side of it. I didn't need to know that part of him for who for what our relationship was. But I do believe that, you know, it's in my opinion that they they knew the energies that were in that house. They knew that kind of thing. And I think they thought that they could harness them in some way. And I think that it got out of hand. And I think that that was not what they bargained for. And it was way worse than what happened. Because, like I said, a lot of people think like the movie, The Amityville Horror, ends when they left the house. It, it, it was still going on 25 to 30 years later. It so, uh, affects me now. Whenever I go publicly, like anytime I do talks like this where I speak directly about the haunting itself, like I'm about to, I have stuff happen in my home. When I first moved in here, my wife did not believe in ghosts. She did not believe in any of this stuff. I did a talk at a college about the Amityville Horror, telling some of the stories that, you know, we've kind of talked about. And we have a big raw iron leaf. To, it's hideous. I hate it. But it, it hangs in the wall. It's very heavy. It doesn't fly across the room. If it falls off, if it were to ever fall off the wall, it would just drop. There's no flying to it. It flew 20 feet across our kitchen from a one wall to the other side by our kitchen fridge. And at that point, I mean, we heard, and then we heard like a loud explosion in the house, even though it was nothing. And at that point, my wife said, I now believe you. And I also want you to stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so Amityville, whenever you take a notice to it and you are affecting whatever its plan is, uh, it does involve itself in your life directly. 
So do you, do you think, uh, and I think I've, I've actually heard you say that this was the case, but I want to verify. Did George and Kathy move into that house with the intention of harnessing that power because they knew what had happened? They did. Or was it just because they got such a hell of a deal on the house? Bit of both. I think it's both. I think, you know, they both sold their own houses. So, you know, it was, you know, financially a sound decision for them. It had a boathouse with an access to a river. George had a boat. So there were a lot of factors into it. But I also think that they thought that they could, you know, harness this for the things that they were involved with at the time. It's crazy. So do you think there was something in that house beforehand? Do you think something affected Ronald DeFeo to make him do what he did? Or do you think that was just a clear-cut case of, of mental illness? Um, I mean, I do I think he was mentally ill, yes. But I also think that, you know, just because he was mentally ill doesn't mean that the paranormal didn't step in. Right. Because we know sometimes that that's a, a clear and easy path for the paranormal to exactly. take. Exactly. It's a great place for an oppression. Hmm. And or right, right pickings for an oppression, rather. Uh, there are aspects of the murder that don't make sense to me. You know, I've been to the house. Um, somebody should have heard a gunshot. And the fact that nobody did is mind boggling to me because they are really close together. Well, that's the whole thing that got me. I mean, the neighbors were saying they didn't hear anything. They didn't hear dogs <laughs> barking. There was, you know, the, the six different people in, in beds that were nobody shot and up. killed. Nobody, nobody wakes up. That makes no sense whatsoever. So uh, to answer your question, I think it's I think it's both. I think, you know, I think that he was a prime target for that kind of thing. He had anger issues of his own. There, you know, a lot of rumors that, you know, and I can't verify any of them, but you know, there was a lot of speculation he himself was involved in the occult. Um, you know, it's <sighs> There's something to the property. Um, when I went, you know, I nobody was living it at the time. So, you know, I had no problem poking around where I shouldn't have been. And like the audio recordings I got, there's nothing but screaming on those on those recordings. They're screaming that, you know, and I was the only one walking around. You know, there was some talk about a uh, possibility of Ronald and his sister possibly having a little something, something going on and, and maybe them planning this. And at the end, he decided to take her out uh, instead of, uh, instead of, you know, them both surviving. Do you think there's any credibility to that story at all? It's entirely possible. I mean, I, I never spoke with her. I did speak with him through email, um, but I never, I never had any interaction with her, obviously, but I don't, I, I don't know enough about that relationship to be able to speak on it. I know he was a pretty heavy dude. Uh, he was also an opportunist. So, you know, I think that, at, you know, in some way, some shape or form, he definitely was capable of that kind of thing. All right. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. Sure. That was most of the paranormal stuff that I really wanted to cover with you because I, that stuff just completely blew my mind. And you mentioned that conversation uh, that, that you had with George uh, about you maybe not not knowing completely who he was. And that was just two days before he died, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Right. That he passed away the day that the court decision came through, heart attack from the stress of the whole thing. Because they never, I mean, he never should have lost it. He had he had, you know had an airtight case and it just devastated him. And you know, here's the thing, like 
a couple of weeks before that, he had wanted a bunch of us to come out to out to their house and do like a powwow. He was he was looking to start a, a school to like kind of train in this kind of thing. Like I don't I don't I don't think I've ever talked about this ever anywhere. But he was looking to start a school, and I used to joke that he was starting the X Men school. And but he was, you know, he was kind of handpicking people to be at this school and work with him on on this kind of stuff. And it was going to be like a paranormal academy, for lack of a better term. And kind of like he knew all kinds of people who, you know, have reportedly had all kinds of incredible abilities. And, and you know, he used to talk about kinetics and and, you know, uh, just, you know, psychics and mediums and all kinds of different you name it. He he knew somebody with an alleged ability. And so he was going to start this school. And, you know, I, you know, I only knew him as, as a, a father figure, but I have heard so many different versions about who he was and from people, some of them are, you know, really credible people. Like I said, Christopher and I are, are good friends. We've talked a lot and for him to, there's shades of things I can see that Christopher has said where I'm like, well, maybe that, maybe that happened, but I also knew him 30 years later, people change. And so I, I think that, you know, he's, he's not wrong. I, I did, I do every day whenever he crosses my mind, sit and puzzle it. Yeah. I have a, a a picture. I one of his autographs he did for me, uh, his photo. He has the arrow drawn to his face and it says, remember, I'm a nice guy, George Lott. And that, and I have no, I never knew why he wrote that because I always, you know, he and I were buddies. So I never knew, understood why he wrote that. And now I'm like, well, did he do that on purpose? Did that mean something? So it was a, it was a complex, a complex dynamic for sure. Did he ever uh, patch things up and have some type of a, a relationship with uh, Christopher or Danny later on in life? Nope. No, there was a lot going on there. You know, he was a military guy and he, he had no, he was no, not, he, he, he openly admitted to me. He's like, I made mistakes. Mistakes were made on my part. I wish that I could fix them. I'm probably never going to get that opportunity. But he also never wanted to tell the boys side of the story. He said, when the boys are old enough and they feel like they are ready to tell their side of the story, they'll do that. But that's not my place to tell their part. What was his thoughts on the first movie, the original, and then the Ryan Reynolds remake? Um, the f- original movie, he said, had flaws, but he said for its time and the amount of care about the family that went into it, he w- he liked it. Um, the Ryan Reynolds movie, he hated with every fiber of his being. Uh, he used to tell, he told a story after it came out, he went opening day to see it in his local theater in, in Las Vegas. And he walked out and he went out to the manager and he's like, I would like my money back. And he's like, and the manager said, sir, you didn't like the film. And he said, it's the worst movie I've ever been in. And he held up his driver's license to the guy that he was the actual George. <laughs> so what were the problems he had? I know myself, but I, I want you to go. To the, what were his problems with the Ryan Reynolds movie? Um, I think he had a really hard time with him being portrayed as such a cold monster. He really struggled with that. But I, I'll tell you this: the thing that he complained and bitched about the most was the fact that in the movie, Ryan Reynolds, George Letts kills the dog. 
And like their dog, Harry, lived a long, happy life. And he was he was an animal lover above all else. And he just that really ate at him to his core. I know the other thing that really bugged him was the scene where, you know, in the Ryan Reynolds movie, they build all the car. He builds the coffins in the basement. And it really, really bothered him that that was in there. And just the just the lack of respect for what the haunting was, you know, and the you know, the liberties that were taken with it. He really had an issue with all of those things. Now, I completely understand that. If, if I'm sitting there watching how I'm portrayed and I don't feel like that that's accurate, that really puts me in a bad light, I could understand. And that's is that basically what the uh, lawsuits were about? Yes, defamation of character. And he was supposed to have, I can't remember specifically because it's been so long, but there were also things in his contract that, you know, he was supposed to be able to say, this is okay, this is not okay. And they, they ignored it and didn't do that. And... I know the I, I can tell you one thing that bothered him above all else is that Ryan Reynolds gave an interview in which he was asked um, if uh, what, what he thought about George Lux. And he said, well, the guy isn't winning father of the year anytime soon. And that he hated Ryan Reynolds after that point. <laughs> well, but I mean, Ryan Reynolds was only speaking the truth of the way he was portrayed. The way in the he movie, portray so. I mean, yeah, and and I get and I get it from his perspective for sure. Um, I can say that George didn't like it though. No, absolutely. All right, so let's switch gears because uh, I want to talk about some other things that you got going on. I mean, I, sure. I appreciate all the George Lutz talks, and that that was. I mean, I can't tell you how much it meant to be able to hear some of that stuff firsthand. Yeah, but, no problem. I'm happy to do it. You've got a lot of fun stuff going on. You've got a podcast called uh, Parents Lounge. Tell everybody about what that is if they tune in. Yeah, the Parents Lounge is, I, I fight a, do a new kind of evil in my life now. It's called My Children. Um, I have twin three-year-olds. One of them we call the Dark Lord. There's, I don't know what happened during pregnancy, but something happened to that kid. He's he's evil, man. I've you know I've I've faced the paranormal head on, and I've seen some scary stuff in my days, but nothing is scarier than my kids. And so, you know, we were trapped at home during a COVID my um, for longer than most people because my wife has a heart condition. So I was stuck at home with these kids, trying to figure out as a dad how do I maneuver all this stuff. So I created a podcast called Dad Apocalypse, and. Uh, Dave Schrader, who you may know from the Holzer Files and, uh, you know, Dark his, uh, Paranormal 60 and all the things that, you know, different radio shows he's done, TV shows he's done. He's been a longtime friend. And he said to me, hey, you should have Jamie Kaler, the actor on his friends. He also was a host on Haunted Live. And he said, you should, should have him. He does a dad podcast, too. You guys are both funny. I think you guys have really hit it off. And Jamie came on my show. And we hit it off in a way I've never had comic timing with that anybody else the way I do him. And excuse me, we combined our two podcasts. Uh, he was doing the Dadlands. I had Dad Pockles. We combined them into the Parents Lounge. And it's a show about surviving your kids. We interview celebrities, uh, Larry the Cable Guy, Jeff Foxworthy, Richard Marks, Dave Keckner from The Office and Anchorman. Uh, Christine Lakin from Gold, the Goldbergs. I mean, you, Richard Marks, a singer songwriter. I mean, you name it. If they're a parent, they've been on our they've been on our show, and they come on and tell all the crazy stories about raising their kids. And we've added, you know, we have a a, a mom that joins us every week called Kate. Her name's Kate Mulligan. Super funny woman. She just 
she brings the mom perspective. You know, we have recurring characters uh, like Claire Kramer from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Bring It On comes on all the time. And we just, you know, we spend these hours kind of commiserating about, you know, it's a parental oasis. So, you know, a little time about surviving your kids and telling, you know, what did, what did your kids do this week? Yeah, it's, uh, I watched a uh, couple of episodes earlier on the YouTube. I thought it was very funny. So oh, thank I you. can't wait to dive in a little further. Uh, also, you do stuff that uh, a lot of cosplay. I've seen uh, way too many pictures because I started deep diving. Once I started seeing one, I wanted to see them all. And uh, I saw that like this. Uh, coming you didn't find my only soon. fan, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Uh, I don't spend I'm... money for anything, but, uh, but uh, you know, let me know if you cut me a discount, you know, code or something. Who knows? Sure, you want a subscription? To get, I'll be happy to pop one over. <laughs> but uh, you're going to be playing the Grinch at a, at a theater coming up really soon. Uh, I think maybe even this weekend, but uh, Saturday, yeah. I, I saw some pictures. It looks really cool. So how did you, uh, how did you get into doing stuff like playing the Grinch at Christmas time? Um, I've always been a big costume. I like building things, like building things. I, I'm a big 3D printer, uh, and I love building costumes. I, I'm fascinated by the art of it. Um, and I just like, I like creating characters. I, I, I need to have a creative outlet, you know, just, just to survive and keep my sanity. And during COVID, I felt so terrible that kids weren't getting to go and see Santa. And I feel weird that they were seeing him from behind glass, like he was in the zoo. So I was like, what can I do to give kids a little bit of Christmas joy? And but they like Santa's just a little too sweet and happy for me. But the Grinch, he speaks to me. And so <laughs> I, I, you know, I bought the prosthetics and I learned the makeup side of it. And I created this whole Grinch suit and I started doing Zooms as the Grinch during the year of COVID. And then the next year, somebody asked me if I would be interested in doing a live Grinch photo like thing for families and it was such a huge hit and, and I did a bunch of videos that kind of took off on YouTube and whatnot and it became kind of a thing and this year is even bigger than last year it's crazy so you you made that suit yourself correct oh that's phenomenal I've seen the suit it's fantastic I would have never guessed that was something you just made that's yeah, awesome. I mean, I, I mean I, I do a lot of you know I, I work with foam and rubber and stuff like that all the time I bet your I bet your house looks awesome around Halloween time. I bet you make all kinds of props. We're that you? house. We're for sure that house on <laughs> the street. For sure. I have like holograms and and all kinds of crazy stuff here. Oh, nice. Well, Jason, it's been a blast having you on. Tell everybody how they can uh, find out about uh, uh, the Parents Lounge podcast, where they can listen, and any websites or Instagram they can follow you on. Absolutely. So you can catch the Parents Lounge live every Tuesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern on Facebook.com uh, slash the Parents Lounge or YouTube.com slash the Parents Lounge. Uh, um, we're also on Twitch. Um, you can catch the, the audio version of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. They upload new episodes. We upload up new episodes every Monday and Thursday. And you can catch me uh, on Instagram at, at Jason Gowan uh, or at the Parents Lounge show and see what we're up to. Awesome. Brother, I thank you so much for coming on. It's been a blast. We'll have to have you on in the future. Anytime. It was a lot of blast. It was a blast having me. And uh, I'm glad to be here. Come bring me back anytime. Awesome, brother. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed Jason. I know we bring you a lot of names that maybe you've never heard of before initially. 
But I promise I'm always looking for great stories. And sometimes those great stories come from people that you might not initially know. And uh, Jason was one of the people that, like I said, up until last week, I didn't know who he was, but I found him absolutely fascinating and can't wait to have him on again. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, he's a he's a fun guy for sure. He definitely is. And I'm telling you, his Grinch outfit and his prosthetics. It's amazing. It's amazing. It is. Absolutely amazing. I was very impressed by that. So, all right, guys, we love you. Thank you so much for everything you do for us. And uh, again... On uh, behalf of the Buster family, thank you for all of your contributions. Yes, thank you guys so much. We hope you all have a blessed week.